You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Bharat Ramamurthy, Deputy Director of the White House National Economic Council, joins the Post to discuss President Biden's proposed $2 trillion infrastructure plan. Let's listen. Good morning. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for the Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live. President Biden is working to reignite the economy with his $2.3 trillion American jobs plan. And one of the people who played a key role in crafting and promoting it is with us this morning. Bharat Ramamurti sits on the National Economic Council, where he is the Deputy Director for Financial Reform and Consumer Protection. And he joins us today. Mr. Ramamurti, thank you for being here this morning. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's talk about the American Jobs Plan. Just about everyone has been calling it, quote, the infrastructure bill, but it's much more than that, right? Walk us through it. Sure, I mean, the goal of this plan is to address longstanding problems that both Democrats and Republicans have acknowledged exist with our economy. So let me just give you a few examples. Uh, 400,000 schools and childcare centers still get water through lead pipes, even though we know that uh, lead exposure has a harmful effect on children. That's a problem that people have acknowledged for a long time. This plan actually aims to fix it. 35% of families in rural areas don't have access to high-speed broadband internet. That's a problem that both Democrats and Republicans have talked about. This plan actually intends on solving that. And we've seen just in the last year already in places like Texas that our power grid uh, is vulnerable and that uh, outages cause uh, cost lives, they cost $70 billion a year in economic activity, according to the Department of Energy. This plan makes serious investments in improving and upgrading our power grid so we avoid those kinds of outages in the future. So really, this is a, a plan about solving real longstanding problems in the American economy, things that are hurting families, things that are holding back our economy, and things that are undermining our competitive standing in the world. One of the, one of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that uh, Republican critics point out is the, the, the focus on childcare and um, care facilities and raising the question, what does that have to do with infrastructure? What's your counter to that? Well, I think it, it's kind of funny that this argument has gotten off on this track about defining infrastructure. I, I guess I would say that uh, if we are dealing with the crippling cost of long-term care, if we are making it easier for families uh, to care for uh, elderly parents. We are making it easier for them to go to work, to get childcare so that they can return to the workforce. Uh, I frankly don't think that the American people care whether some pundits describe that as infrastructure or not. The, the bottom line is that these are serious problems that are holding back families, that are holding back our economy. And again, that are problems that both Democrats and Republicans have acknowledged over time need fixing. Uh, you know, I would encourage folks uh, who are looking at this plan uh, to tell us if these are uh, uh, problems that you think are worth solving and you have a different approach, uh, we welcome that. Let's have that discussion. If you don't think that these are problems, tell us that too. But I think this debate about what is or isn't infrastructure is kind of beside the point. And that's one of the reasons why I made a point of saying what the, the name of the actual bill is, the American Jobs Plan, because when you look at it in terms of jobs, that's where child care and care facilities all comes into play. But let's keep talking more about sort of the infrastructure pieces of this plan and talk about uh, broadband access. That's one of the major points of bipartisan agreement in this bill is to for 
expanded broadband access, especially in rural areas. What will this bill do to help provide reliable internet to those who need it? Because that's the, the, the linchpin of being a part of the 21st century economy. Yeah, you're exactly right. And the president has, has made this analogy, right? That in the 1930s, uh, huge swaths of the country didn't have access to electricity. Uh, and that was holding them back from fully participating both in the economy uh, and in society. And so uh, the federal government back then made a historic investment in bringing electricity to every home and every farm in the country. Uh, and those families benefited and our whole economy benefited. And in many ways, broadband is like the electricity uh, of this century. Uh, you need it to participate fully in school, in work, to look for work, uh, uh, to participate in society. And so I think uh, we, we believe that bringing uh, broadband to every single home in the country uh, is good for not only those families who lack it right now, and uh, but also good for the economy. So the president's plan uh, is to make a historic uh, investment of up to $100 billion to provide loans, grants, uh, other forms of support, uh, both to nonprofit entities and to for-profit companies uh, to build out broadband to those areas uh, that don't have it now. Uh, and our projection is that with this kind of investment, we can bring high-speed, reliable, affordable broadband uh, to every home in the country by 2030. Uh, but I want to talk no, about it, another part oh, of the problem too. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. No, 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 go another ahead. Here is that there are a lot of areas in the country now where people have access to broadband. It exists in their neighborhood, but uh, they can't access it because of the cost, right? The, uh, the United States, Americans pay among the highest prices for broadband internet uh, across the world. Uh, compared to Europe, for example, uh, for the same speed internet, Americans are paying $30, $40, $50 a month more. And so uh, part of what the president is also committed to is bringing down the price of internet access for all Americans uh, to make it easier for those folks uh, who have access but can't afford it uh, to actually afford it in the future. So the, the, the question I was about to ask you is that internet companies are saying that the government shouldn't, quote unquote, micromanage their broadband infrastructure or prioritize creating their own. What's your reaction to that? Well, look, I think that we we all share a goal, I think Democrats and Republicans uh, and the private sector in on uh, building out broadband, making sure that every American has access to it. You know, in our view, uh, it's reasonable to prioritize those types of uh, nonprofits like uh, rural electrical co-ops, uh, municipal governments that want to build out broadband and, and are not motivated by uh, a profit motive. Right? They are focused on making sure that people that they are serving have access and that they can do it at an affordable price. That said, that's not going to be the appropriate solution for every type of community. The private sector is going to play a very large role uh, in providing uh, broadband infrastructure, and we plan on working with them uh, very closely. But again, to, to go back to the, to the analogy about electricity, when we did rural electrification in the 1930s, the, uh, the, the heart and soul of that was working with uh, rural electrical co-ops across the country, nonprofit entities. And we think that they will play a large role uh, in this effort as well. Um, I wanna to touch on race equity before we get into the larger political issues here. And this is one of the, the first major spending bills that explicitly addresses racial inequality, uh, racial inequity, not inequality, inequity. What are some of the provisions designed to help further racial equity? Well, I think honestly, from both the president and the vice president, it's been clear that uh, promoting racial equity, that considering racial equity has to be a part of every single aspect of what we do. 
And you can see it, I think, in nearly every single aspect of this plan. I think, uh, unfortunately, if you look back at our history, a lot of the infrastructure investments that we have made in the past uh, as a federal government uh, have excluded communities of color uh, or have even harmed communities of color when you look at, for example, how highways have been built through those communities. And so when we look forward now to the types of investments that need to be made, I think a lot of that ends up uh, uh, going into those communities because uh, that's where the need is. And so let me give you a few examples. Uh, sure. There is a severe lack of uh, affordable housing uh, in the United States that is driving up the cost of rent uh, for, for millions of families, is making it harder for uh, first-time home buyers to buy a home. What our plan uh, proposes to do is make a historic investment in building affordable housing uh, all across the country, and that will have a disproportionate effect on, um, on Black and Hispanic uh, families because they are disproportionately likely uh, to be renters. Uh, the broadband issue that I talked about, uh, there's this well-known digital divide where Black and Hispanic families are significantly less likely uh, to be able to have access to the internet, in part because of the high cost of the internet. So our plan to expand access to broadband, to bring down prices for families, is going to help close that digital divide. And I think when it comes to worker training, it comes to the, some of the climate-related investments in this plan, uh, there are key racial equity components to all of them. And as I said, that is because it is a key priority of both the president and the vice president. So let's talk about the politics here. Senator Chris Coons of Delaware, one of the president's <clears throat> closest friends and allies in the Senate, has said he believes that Congress should break the American Jobs Plan into several pieces. For instance, a hard infrastructure bill that would presumably achieve bipartisan support. Do you agree with this approach? I think, number one, the president has been clear that these are problems that we need to solve, and he's committed to solving them. Uh, number two, he's also committed to the fact that no family who makes under $400,000 a year will see a tax increase under this plan. Uh, beyond that, I think he's open uh, to ideas and to different permutations of how we actually get this stuff accomplished. If there are things that uh, the Senate, that the House are able to do on a bipartisan basis, even if it is not the entirety of his plan. I think we are supportive of that, and we look forward to working with both Democrats and Republicans to try and get as much of that accomplished as we can. That said, the president has been clear that each and every one of these problems that he's addressing in this plan is worth solving, and he wants to figure out ways of solving them. Okay, so Senator Coons also said a smaller price tag around, say, a trillion dollars, might be more feasible. President Biden's plan wants to go all the way, 2.3 trillion. Is $1 trillion enough? As I said, I think we are open to working on a bipartisan basis to addressing uh, some of these issues that can uh, get bipartisan support. And we think that every single aspect of this bill should get bipartisan support. As I've said, uh, uh, almost every single one of the problems that's identified here, whether it's uh, a lack of worker training, broadband, uh, removing water, uh, lead pipes, these are issues that have gotten broad bipartisan support. And I should just add, uh, beyond Congress, uh, a poll that came out yesterday showed that 73% of the American people support this plan, including nearly 60% of Republicans. So we think that there's broad bipartisan support for the entirety of the plan uh, among the American people, and we hope uh, that that translates to broad bipartisan support in Congress as well. Unfortunately, Mr. Ramamurti, we already know that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell from Kentucky has already said the GOP, the, your, the Republicans 
in the Senate will um, likely oppose the bill. The president said yesterday that he is, and as you have been saying um, in this interview, that he wants to work with um, Republicans. What specifically is the president willing to negotiate on? Look, I think this is the beginning of a discussion. Uh, the president uh, would prefer to work through regular order. Mm -hmm. He would prefer to bring Republicans to the table. He's already had two meetings in the Oval Office with Republicans to talk about uh, different aspects of infrastructure. As I've noted, uh, there is longstanding Republican support for many of these priorities, including uh, broadband. Uh, and and, and our, our hope is that uh, we can work with Republicans, including uh, Leader McConnell, uh, to move as much of this as we can through regular order. But I want to keep emphasizing the point that uh, the president believes that we have been talking about these problems for far too long, and the cost of inaction is very high. Uh, we cannot continue to have a country, the richest country in the world, where 400,000 schools and childcare centers are getting water through lead pipes. Uh, we can't have a country where 35% of the rural population doesn't have access to high-speed internet. Uh, we have to solve these problems. We prefer to solve them with Republicans. If we can't do that, then we have to look at other options. Right. And sent yesterday, Senator Coons, again, of Delaware, said yesterday that Republicans have until May to offer compromises before Democrats move to pass the president's um, package on their own. Do you think the president will stick to that timeline? Uh, look, I, I think that uh, different folks are going to have different timelines. That's not one specifically that I've heard uh, from the president. I, I do think he believes that uh, that there is urgency here. And it's not just because uh, every day that goes by, uh, these problems are getting worse and more people are getting harmed. I think one of the things that he's been focused on is that while we are sitting around, uh, other countries, including China, are making uh, quick, large, historic investments in many of these issues. Right? China, as a percentage of their economy, is blowing us out of the water when it comes to their investments in infrastructure. They're not sitting around and waiting. And I think the president believes that uh, in order to maintain our standing as the biggest uh, economy in the world, as the, the, the leading uh, economy in the world, we need to make these investments uh, uh, to improve our competitive standing. So I wanna hone in on, so you've used the word urgency. Um, you, in a previous answer, used the word regular order. To, in, on today's op-ed page in the Post, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia uh, has declared his opposition to filibuster reform and to use of reconciliation uh, to passing bills. He says that Congress should get back to, here's that word, that phrase again, regular order and quote-unquote, do its job. Is Senator Manchin being naive? Is he even realistic? Is it possible to pass the president's plan, the American Jobs Plan, without reconciliation or without reforming the filibuster? Well, look, I think that Senator Manchin also made the point that it's incumbent on Republicans to stop just saying no and to come to the table with real ideas. I mean, look, the president, uh, like I said, has already hosted Republicans to talk about infrastructure two times in the Oval Office. Uh, we are open to ideas about how to solve these problems. If Republicans agree that uh, the, the number of lead pipes in this country is a travesty, uh, we're open to their ideas on how to solve that. Uh, if they agree that the cost of housing, the cost of rent is too high, uh, we're open to their ideas on how to solve it. Like I said, we've incorporated a lot of good bipartisan ideas into this plan already, but if there are others, 
uh, we are open to that. Senator Manchin has made clear that he supports uh, a large investment in infrastructure. I know that for his state of West Virginia, uh, broadband expansion is a big deal and a priority of his. There are plenty of areas where we anticipate being able to work with Senator Manchin uh, and to address uh, issues that both Democrats and Republicans have identified uh, as priorities for a long time. So look, we're at the beginning of this process. There's gonna be some twists and turns. Uh, the president, like I said, would prefer to work through regular order, uh, have Republicans come to the table, have a good, strong debate of ideas and, and, and try and solve as many of these problems as we can. Let's talk about a, a twist and turn in all this that also involves Senator Manchin, and that involves um, corporate taxes. Um, and the Trump tax plan dropped corporate taxes from 35% to 21%. President Biden in the American Jobs Plan is proposing increasing those taxes to the tax rate to 28%. Senator Manchin has come out and says, eh, not 28%, 25%. Um, do you think the president, is that a worthy compromise um, for the president to come down from 28% to 25% if that means getting Senator Manchin on board? Well, uh, on the tax side, the uh, same as on the investment side, uh, we want there to be this kind of discussion about what the right answers are, and we're glad to see this kind of discussion. The president believes that 28% is the right number. I mean, to take a step back, uh, you know, our corporate tax system is broken, uh, and it was made worse by the 2017 uh, tax bill uh, that was passed under the previous administration. Uh, if you look at the data as a percentage of our economy, the amount of revenue we're getting from corporations uh, is about 0.5%. Uh, U.S. multinational corporations in 2018 paid an average tax rate of 8%, right? way, way less than what your typical middle-class family is going to be paying in taxes. And at the same time, our tax code actually encourages uh, investment uh, and jobs overseas relative to the United States. So what the president has proposed uh, is a made in America tax plan that yes, involves uh, increasing the corporate tax rate, but also addressing some loopholes and other provisions that actually encourage uh, shifting profits, shifting jobs, shifting investment overseas. Uh, again, if other folks have ideas on how to accomplish the president's goals here, which are to drive investment into the United States and to generate additional revenue from corporations, uh, we're open to them. Uh, including from Senator Manchin. And like I said, I think we're at the beginning of this process, but the, the president believes that 28% uh, is the right rate. And a final question for you, and that is you say we're at the beginning of this process. Uh, how long is the president willing to let the process go before he says, you know, it's time to get this done? Well, look, I think we are uh, clear eyed about the fact that this is likely uh, to be a little bit of a longer process than the one we just saw around the rescue bill that Congress passed, uh, and we're fine with that. Uh, but the flip side of that is that for years and years, maybe even decades in some cases, we have been talking about these problems and, and failing to act on them. And the problems have gotten worse and worse in the meantime. And, uh, and I think that the president believes very strongly that the time for talking about this has passed, that the time for acting about on it is now, that, uh, that countries like China are moving quickly to address these kinds of issues while we uh, sit on our hands. And so uh, he expects and would hope that Congress will work with him to uh, pass as many of these priorities as possible uh, uh, over the course of this year.
Bharat Ramamurthy, uh, Deputy Director for Financial Reform and Consumer Protection at the National Economic Council at the White House. Thank you very much for coming to Washington Post Live. Thank you. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Come back at noon Eastern today for another installment in our Race in America series and a conversation on allyship with NAACP Legal Defense Fund President and Director Counsel Sherilyn Eiffel and AAJC President John C. Yang. Then at 3 p.m. Eastern today, my colleague John Woodrow Cox will discuss his new book, Children Under Fire, an American Crisis, with Peter Ambler, Gabby Giffords, and Greg Gregory. Once again, I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Thank you very much for tuning in to Washington Post Live. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.